Aren't you thankful that Jesus invites us to come to Him for healing? We don't have to fix ourselves before we come to Christ. We come to Him for our healing. And I'm thankful for that. As you can see, Pastor is out of town. Him and Lynn went to see her folks in California. Two weeks ago, they had gone up to see his mom in Wisconsin. And last Sunday, Stacy and I were gone. And this Sunday, he's gone. So we're leapfrogging. I may not be here next Sunday. So we're just kind of taking turns. But now he'll be back Thursday. And God willing, I'll be here next week as well. Uh, so I'm going to do things just a tad bit different. I'm going to do the announcements right now as opposed to after the message. And uh, so there are just a couple of announcements. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Next Sunday is Father's Day. We're having a fish fry and uh, there will be pulled pork. And we have a sign-up sheet for items you can bring. Mark... Uh, Remember this, we'll be starting at 5 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock next Sunday. 5 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock next Sunday. And uh, please sign up. If you're planning on coming, you don't have to bring anything, but there are things you can bring. Uh, But there's a sign-up sheet so we know how much uh, to prepare for. uh, And next... In the coming weeks, many of you are taking advantage of our online giving or mobile giving through the app. And I just want to let you know, just give you a heads up, we're going to be switching service, our service provider for that. So uh, you will will be getting that information out to you starting this week on just how you can create your new account uh, for you got. Don't worry, you got probably a good month before we'll switch completely over. So we'll give you plenty of time to to switch your account and. Uh, we're looking forward to, the, to that. It's more services through our app and kind of putting services together. And uh, we have a youth activity, youth activity June 26th. The youth will be going over to Turkey Run. They will be tubing and rafting, and uh, they'll be leaving the church here at 9 o'clock. There will be a sign-up sheet for that, and if you have any questions, see John Priest or John and Michelle, and they'll be taking the group over there for that. And one last thing, for those that are going on the trip to the Ark Encounter, uh, we will be leaving Friday at 8 o'clock. So if you could be here uh, about 15 minutes before 8, we'll be leaving at 8 o'clock. So we're, we'll see you next Friday for that, and we're excited for that. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was here and I uh, got to preach. It was Memorial Day. And uh, it was a day of remembrance, and uh, it was that's a day we celebrate each year. But as I was thinking for the message, I was thinking about that Memorial Day. It reminded me of a story of this Sunday morning where there was this pastor, and he was out in the, the hallway, and he he saw little Johnny looking up at this plaque that they had hanging in the hallway. It had these two flags, two American flags on either side of it. And uh, the seven-year-old, he had been staring at the plaque for quite a while, and so the pastor's aside, I'll, I'll go up and uh, just encourage the young man and uh, talk with him. And he says, uh, good morning, Johnny. He said, good morning, Pastor. And Pastor uh, Phillips said, well, or the, the young man asked uh, the pastor, well, what is this? What's this plaque? He said, well, son, it's a memorial to all the men and women who have died while in service. Well, Johnny's face kind of dropped, and he, you could tell he was really scared. And he looked up to the pastor, he goes, which service, the morning or evening? <laughs> well, we trust that we don't have a, need a plaque for people dying in service. So 
I will do my best to keep you awake, though, through the service. So uh, we are talking, the subject of our message today is the key to contentment. The key to contentment. You know, we live in a time of excess. And we have. A, the United States has been blessed for many years with abundance and prosperity. And, uh, you know, just, just uh, yesterday I did a search and looked online for dog food delivery services. And to my surprise, I saw that there is not just one delivery services for dog food. There uh, eight came up, eight of them for just for delivery services for dog food. And I noticed that uh, uh, there, there must be more than eight because what I was looking at was a list of the top eight, the top eight delivery services for food. I have those top picks. They were top picks. Uh, the first one for best overall was the farmer's dog. The one that had the best guarantee was Nom Nom. The best dry food was Spot and Tango. The best subscription optional was a pup above. The best natural service was Ollie. The best ready to serve was Pet Plate. And the best commercial delivery was Chewy. Okay, so I looked up pet plates, and I said, like, I'm curious, what do they offer? What is this service that they have? And I, so I looked, at, and on the front page of the website, it said, healthy, fresh, cooked food for your dog. And then it said below that, it's about time. I tell you this, we are living in a time of abundance and prosperity in this nation when we are concerned about the health and well-being that our, our dogs, we have a delivery service just for our dog food. Wouldn't you agree with that? This is a time of abundance and prosperity. You know, while it was, uh, the, the, the description of the delivery plan even had personalized meal plans. Personalized meal plans for your dogs. Okay? And they were to be delivered to your home. You don't even have to go to the store to get your dog food anymore. It was at this point, though, as I'm reading this, I began to feel kind of distressed. You know, and I, I was feeling extremely guilty because I had a dog when I was growing up. And uh, well, his name was Max. And I realized we were mistreating Max all those years. And I, so I was feeling really guilty as I was reading this. Not one time did me or anyone in our household ask Max what, what he want, Max what he wanted to eat for dinner. Not one time did we ever approach our dog and say, hey, you know, what do you all want for dinner? We just put the dog chow in there and he ate it and we just thought he was happy. And all, all along the time we were mistreating him. And worse than that, get this, worse than that, we would put tap water in his bowl for him to drink. We were the worst dog owners of all time, I tell you that. We were terrible. It, it, this, it gets even worse. Not only that, we would give him baloney. Okay, we didn't, and if you know bologna, if you read the ingredients, it's not the most healthy thing, but we would give him bologna. Now, we gave him bologna to coax him back into the house after he got out and we couldn't get him to come back in. But you know what? That bologna would get him to come back in. But now I know how much we mistreated our dog. You know, we live in a time of excess. You know, but I always thought Max was content, but I realized he was unhappy and dissatisfied. He needed these personal home-cooked meals. We deprived him of that. And that explains why he bit almost everybody that came into the house. <laughs> Max was dissatisfied. Now I know that. You know, as ridiculous as that sounds, I believe we as Christians have become so used to excess 
that the slightest inconvenience that comes our way, it causes us to be irritable. Maybe we snap at others when we have some uh, just uh, some uh, disruption to our lives. We can get discouraged, unhappy, and no joy. I think we've become so used to living in excess and prosperity that we have forgot what it means to be content. What is your response when the Wi-Fi goes down and it's not working? You know, praise the Lord. I can spend time reading my Bible or you get upset. How about worse than this? You go somewhere and they don't even have Wi-Fi. That's terrible. You check in the hotel and they say, where's the Wi-Fi? We don't have any. And you get upset. This is the worst thing ever. This hotel is terrible. We are living in a time of excess. You know, in the past year or so, most of us have experienced some disruptions in our lives. We've had a pandemic, right? This terrible pandemic. I remember uh, uh, before that, we all enjoyed the entertainment freely that we would go and do. We in restaurants and many service we were accustomed to. Some of those things were disrupted. They weren't available. And uh, for some of you, for a period of time, we're out of work. You know, and I, I remember last year, I remember as the stay at home order went into place, it was 14 days that went 18 months, uh, and, uh, uh, or however many months it's been, uh, that, uh, we, we thought that, you know, this is, this is serious. Things are going to get bad. So we kind of prepared as church. We ordered some food for our food pantry and stocked up with that. We had to put it out into the, activity center for space and we were prepared because we wanted to be able to help folks and uh, you know the picture at the time seemed to be painted that everyone was going to suffer uh, that this was going to be a tough time in order to make it through this pandemic so uh, we, we thought this was going to be a great time to witness as folks would as they go through trials would uh, come to God to come to the church uh, to seek God for answers but you know this we had trouble giving away all that food. We had trouble giving it away. You know, it wasn't long after, all of a sudden we began to have periods and weeks when no one was calling for the food bank. We've had less calls for the food pantry in the last six months than we had before the pandemic. And I thought, this seems odd. How can we have all this, all these help wanted signs everywhere, all these people, uh, employers looking for employees, and, and yet we are not getting the calls that we expected? Where's the need? So, not only that, the housing market has exploded. The new homes are going up like crazy. In fact, and, uh, so not only are, do we not see people seeking answers, running to God, here's the concerning part. It's been the opposite. We see more people uh, walking away from church. And I wondered, something is wrong here. This is a pandemic. That is when those trials come is when you were supposed to run to God, when things get tough. But what happened? Why, how did the, can this possibly be? Well, part of the problem is we see that the government stepped in and has given away lots of money. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but this is a fact. The government's given away billions of dollars in so-called stimulus payments and other so-called relief. 
you may think we may think this is a good thing. Well, Brandon, what's wrong with you? We're not suffering. You know, this is great. This is what the government's supposed to do. But here's my concern. Here's my concern. Because of those things, we have forgotten a valuable lesson. What it means to be content. What it means to be content. We're not used to suffering. Even the slightest suffering. Here we go through a pandemic. Have we really suffered? I remember getting these stimulus checks and I'm thinking, why am I getting a stimulus check? I don't... But not only that are we not learned to be content. Here, in the midst of a pandemic, there's more discontentment, even though we're still prospering. Prospering, Something does not make sense. My concern is also this. You, trials are meant to teach us something. However, if every time we go through a trial, we are bailed out, we fail to learn the lesson. We fail to learn the lesson. You see, contentment is not just a virtue. It is a command from God. It's not just a virtue to be content. It is a command from God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7-8 through says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Here is the command. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So this morning we're going to look at a portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, to the Philippian church, where he is thanking the church for a gift that they had sent him. He has, he was living in confinement and, and, uh, uh, but as is typical for Paul, as he's thanking them, he is also teaching them a lesson. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and let me read this. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last you care of me, your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, You have blessed this nation abundantly, Lord. And Lord, we thank You for that. But Lord, my concern, Lord, is that we are failing in this command to be content people, Lord. Lord, You tell us to be content in whatever state we are in. Lord, that You would meet our needs, Lord. And Lord, as I pray as we look this morning at the key to contentment, how we can be content, Lord, I pray that You would uh, give me clarity of thought. You guide my words. Lord, that You open the hearts of the hearers, Lord, to hear the message that we can apply it to our lives, Lord. I thank You for it, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Greek word used here that is translated as content is a tar case, a tar case. Uh, you know, what's interesting is the word English word con content appears many times uh, in uh, through the word of God, but this is the only time this Greek word otarkes is used and translated as content. As content. So we're going to look at the definition that is used here of content. Uh, there's a sense in this word of a, uh, of a self-sufficiency. 
okay, associated with this word. Not in the sense that we're not uh, that we're dependent only on ourselves and not upon God, but it's rather the opposite, and you'll see that later on. So it's not a dependence in and of ourselves, okay, but uh, something that we have in and in ourselves that we can be sufficient. Our needs can be met and we can be content. So there's a sense of a, a sufficiency. Because he, he, because God, or because Paul knows that God is sovereign and in control, he realized that all he had came from God. Okay? Paul knew that all that he had came from God. Whether he had a lot or a little, he was satisfied with it. Contentment is uh, to be at ease of mind. To be at ease of mind in your current estate. No matter what your estate is, that you have an ease of mind about it. Too often we don't have uh, ease of mind of what our current estate, and we can have some anxiety about it. Uh, but contentment also is not like what the Stoics would teach, that, uh, that, that you can come to a point of indifference. Okay, So it's not to be understood of a point where we just say, when to, uh, I don't care. Okay, That is not contentment. Okay, I do not believe the Apostle Paul was a robot. I believe he cared greatly about things. Okay, He was not a robot. He was not void of emotions. So it's not coming to this point where we can just say, I don't care what happens. That's not contentment. You know, early in the chapter, Paul said this in Philippians 4.6. He says, Be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. You know, to be careful for nothing doesn't mean that you do not care. Okay? It doesn't mean that you do not care. You know, you can see someone that uh, is going through a trial and they just seem to be carefree. Okay, and you can say, "What's wrong with you? Don't you care?" Well, they very well may care. They're just not full of care. They're not overwhelmed with care. They're not uh, burdened with care. They're not living with anxiety. Okay, but it doesn't mean that they don't care. So Paul was not a robot. Okay, he he was he. So being content is not a state of not caring. It is, however, a state. Of it is a state, whatever you have, being sufficient to you. It is a state of whatever you have being sufficient to you. It's a state of this, of being satisfied. Can we say today as we sit here, you don't have a want. You're satisfied. Your needs are met. There's no want. You're content. So in our text, Paul is thanking the church for helping him with a need. Yet I believe he is telling them that he is grateful for the gift. So he's thanking them for the gift. He's extremely grateful for the gift. Okay, But he wanted them to know this, that he was not depending on it. Okay, He was not depending on it. In other words, if the gift did not come, if the gift did not come, he was not going to change his attitude. Or his gratitude in life. So he's saying, I, I, I want to thank you. I am thankful. Don't miss a turn. I am thankful. I don't want you to let, you know, either way, I'm content. Which brings me to the next point. Contentment is learned. And that's my concern 
when government comes in and every time something comes, we think, okay, government, where's, where's my stimulus? Where's this? Where's that? Who's going to come in and alleviate any possibility of suffering? Or you're looking everywhere. Okay, we, we, where is the help? Okay, that we fail to learn the lessons that God wants us to learn. So earlier I said that contentment is a state of being satisfied. It's a state of being satisfied. But it does not come natural. It doesn't come natural. Uh, contentment is not a thing that's natural to us. The Apostle Paul, through many trials, had learned, he had learned to be content. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he was being imprisoned in Roman. I already mentioned that. And uh, he would have had little comforts. But you know this, it is through trials that we learn what is important. It is through trials that we learn what is important. What is a need and what is a want. That is a lesson we can learn through trials. So trials are good, but we don't want trials. We don't... We don't look at them as good. So we do everything to avoid trials, to alleviate the, the burdens and difficulties of trials. And, uh, and so, as I look back in time, and we look to those, and we're losing most of those, and uh, probably very few that went through the Great Depression, when you look at their lives, many of them, they were very frugal. Okay, they uh, kept uh, and reused many of the things that we have. We live in today where the the TV's not working. We chuck it in the garbage and go buy a new one. Okay, the refrigerator's not working. We don't call the repairman. We chuck it and go buy a new one. And so we don't even we've learned we 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 uh, have not learned how to be content. So so. It is when we go through trials, we learn and grow the most. And I believe the Great Depression was a terrible thing. But there was a lot of lessons that were learned through that. James chapter 1 and verse 2 through 3 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or many temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Okay? Are we patient when something goes wrong and, and there's, in, are, are, are we patient or are we like, I, I, we need this, we get anxious and we gotta get this fixed right away. We need it right away. It gotta happen right now. And though, so we run around looking for all these solutions to our problem and we never learn patience. In verse 12 it says, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. So Paul says, I have learned through these trials, all these many trials he's gone through, he says he's learned, and he says in our Scripture, in whatsoever state I am to be content, he says I've learned this. Are we content when things are not going our way? Or we get frustrated and we lash out and maybe we get worried, and the bank accounts becoming dry, and we we're no longer uh, content. And and actually, when we prosper, many times that's when we become even less content or discontent. 
uh, we have much because we're trying to hold on to it. We're trying to gain more. Does the condition of our bank account, get this, does the condition of your bank account determine your passion of service? In other words, when things are full, bank account's full, the fridge is full, God's good, right? So we're passionate about our service. But when those things are not full, maybe uh, not where we'd want them to be, and uh, so our commitment to God wanes, does our lot in life determine our commitment to God? Something we need to ask ourselves. So oftentimes we have fallen for this belief that our service for God should equal material blessings. I'm serving God material blessings. We can think that about America. We are we can think we are blessed because of our service to God. Well there may be some truth to that, okay? But when we think that the that service to God equals material blessings, the problem is when those material blessings are not there when you're serving God, you think that God has somehow forsaken you when that is not true. Can we look at the apostle Paul's life? He, I don't think there was really, when we talk about excess, he, this, he wouldn't have a clue what we live in today. He would not understand what we live in today. When he had excess, when he talks about abundance, it's nothing like what we experience today. I'd venture to say none of us have experienced uh, even our lowest estate, what he would call abundant. So, the problem is when we consider material blessings are equal to our service. There's a teaching out there that says that. Okay, it's a name it and claim it that God is there to just to bless us and to with material blessings. You know, but not many can say that they have done more in service for God than the Apostle Paul. You read about the Apostle Paul's life and he did all the way that God used him in his service. Not many can say that they have done more in service for God than Paul. But also, this is also true. None suffered more than he either. Yet most of us cannot say what he said, which is this, I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. Okay, for further proof that it is something to be learned, he says in this in verse 12 of our chapter, he says, I know both how to be abased. See, he says, I know. This is something I've learned. This is something I know. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things. So it's not just a bank account. It's in all things. Are you content with every area of your life? It's not just the bank account. Is it your relationship? Is it everything? Can you say, I am content? He says, I know this, but why have we not learned it? Why have we not learned it? I cannot say, I, I cannot, honestly, I cannot make the statement uh, with a straight face that Paul says, where I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. Now, I can tell you this, I've learned better than I did before I was saved, but it's still a lesson but why have we not learned it? Well, the second part of this verse, verse 12, I think will help us. 
along with understanding. It says, everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Okay, this is an interesting phrasing that the Apostle Paul uses here. The word translated instructed, okay, the word translated in this verse instructed, it's a very interesting word when you look at it in the Greek language. It is the word muheo, muheo. It means initiate. It means initiate, okay? So it's translated instructed. It could be initiate, okay? So Paul is saying this. He says, I've been initiated into this. I've been initiated into this. So what does that mean? Some of you here maybe had gone to college, okay? And uh, in colleges, campuses, they have these fraternities and sororities, and there are the, these Greek, uh, this Greek system. This well, part of the Greek culture what is, was is to initiate new members on campus. You initiate new members on campus into the fraternity or the sorority. There's this initiation process. Part of that initiation often involves some sort of discomfort and things like that. We won't go through some of the things that they do, but there's some discomfort and some, some trying of the people before they become members. And then, but once they have gone through the initiation process, they've gone through some difficulty and, uh, they, 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 at the very end of that process, often they are revealed secrets. Revealed secrets, okay, that is only in that fraternity or sorority, something that others did not, do not know. And it's only after having gone through that process that they learn what the secrets or the secret is. It's only after going through the difficult initiation process. So, so in the same sense of the use of the word initiation, the same sense of the, the use of the word, Paul is saying this. He's saying, I have been initiated. I've gone through the difficult process. I've gone through it. I've been initiated. He's saying this, I've learned the secret to being content. I've learned the secret. I'm afraid that we have not learned the secret. But don't worry, we're going to reveal the secret. We're going to, you're going to see what the secret is. We're going to see what the secret sauce is to being content. So he is saying, I have learned sufficiency. No matter what, whether I'm full or hungry or whether I'm abounding or suffering need, I have learned. Maybe we have not learned the secret because we're trying to bypass the process. We're trying to go around the process. Avoid the initiation. We're trying to avoid the process. Even in spite of that, I'm still going to tell you what the secret is. I'm still going to tell you. But you really won't know if you've learned it until you're tested. We really don't know if we really understand the secret, if we really know the secret until we're tested. That's when we realize what the secret Did we really understand the secret? Okay? It's when we get tested and we find out. Matter of fact, though, all of you have heard the secret. You already know it. You've heard it. You, you, uh, uh, probably have got the secret possibly memorized. You possibly have the secret on a magnet on your refrigerator, but you don't realize it. 
Perhaps uh, you, we have misinterpreted what it is. We know it, but we've misinterpreted it. So uh, we have it. We know what the secret is, but we don't understand it. So three, I won't keep you in suspense much longer, the key or the secret to contentment. You know, as I said, many of us have memorized it, but we don't know it. Some of us have even told the secret to others and didn't realize it. But notice this. After the Apostle Paul says he's been initiated, okay, he's gone through the process, he's learned the secret, and he says this, he said he has learned to abound and suffer need. He's learned to abound and suffer need. He then reveals in the very next verse what the secret to contentment is. Hold your... Hold on to your seats. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. How many have that memorized? Okay. How many have got a magnet on your refrigerator or somewhere else? Some of you. Okay. But most of us have that verse memorized or know it, right? But do you know that it has, that is the secret to contentment? You say, I don't understand. What are you talking about? That it doesn't have anything to do with commitment. It does. That's what he's talking about. We're going to see that. We're going to, let's, let's flesh this out a little bit. He says, well, let's look at the first. He says, I can do all things. What are the all things that he's talking about? What are the all things he's talking about? Well, he's talking about what he just said. What he just said. He says, he said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, I've learned those things. Okay. He says, I can do all things. He says, I can do those things. I can do those things. I can be content. So those all things he just wrote about in the verses prior to this. It's the same thing he was talking about. But what is the secret? Well, he says, I can do all things. We now know what the all things are. Okay. Okay. Uh, he, 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 and then he goes on to say, through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying this, that the secret is this. Now here it is. Hold your horses. Contentment is found in a relationship. It is found in a relationship. Contentment is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where contentment is found. We're looking to be satisfied by something that doesn't satisfy. We're, we think if our bank account is full, I'll be satisfied. I'll be content. I'll learn to be content. And then it's not. And some can think, well, if we get rid of all those things, then I won't be tempted with all those things. Then I'll be content because I've gotten rid of all that. So we attempt to be content that way. Or, and so we go back and forth, back and forth. We're, why am I always strong? Why am I content? Not content. I'm not content when I don't have anything. I'm not content when I do have anything. It's because you won't find it by looking at your bank account. You will only find it by looking at Christ. That's where contentment is found. So the secret to contentment is found in Christ. That's where you find it is in a relationship, not in material things, not in how much you have or don't have. 
It is found in a relationship with Christ. So it's through Christ, and it's through Christ alone you can suffer, need, and still be content. It is only through Christ you can have your bank account full and still be content because often we have our bank account full and we're concerned about losing it. Okay? And we're still not content. We're wondering, what happens if I lose it? And you're still not content. So it is through knowing Christ. It is through knowing Christ that we can be content in all circumstances. To further drive a home, if you have your Bibles, you can turn back to Philippians chapter 3, back a chapter, and look at verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9, it further drives this home. Verse 8 says this, Yet doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. The Apostle Paul had a name as a Pharisee. He had a position that was respected. And he, he lost all those things. But he says, even those, those things I lost, he said, they're done to me that I may win Christ. And he says, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So he's saying this. He's saying that the most valuable thing to him is his relationship with Christ. That is the most valuable thing to him. Everything else is done. He's saying, I have everything I need in Christ. He's saying, I'm content with knowing Christ. He's saying, I want to know Him better. He's saying, in my pursuit of Christ, I am willing to suffer the loss of all things. He's saying, in my pursuit of Christ, I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things. Can we say that? It's part of the secret to being content is pursuing Christ. When we pursue the things of the world, you will not be content. You will only be content if your pursuit and heart's desire is Christ. It is His relationship with Christ that gives Him power to suffer. Let me say that again. It is His relationship with Christ that gives Him power to suffer. It is His relationship with Christ that gives Him power to continue on. This is the secret to contentment. It is found in your relationship with Christ. To further drive this home, uh, that this is the secret, let's turn to another verse that you, that you, many of us know, that reveals the secret there as well. This is the worst kept secret of all time. Okay? But it is a secret. Learn, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. Let your lifestyle or your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. And most of you could say this with me. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How many of us know the second part of it, but not the first part of that verse? It's about contentment. When we talk about He will not leave us nor forsake us, He's saying, you have everything you need in Me. You can be content. 
that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that enough for us? Sometimes the answer is right in front of us. It's right there. And we do not see it. But that is the secret to being content. There was a man named Dr. Russell Conwell who lived in the 1800s and he used to tell his story that he had learned while working as a correspondence correspondent for the New York Tribune. He was in Baghdad on assignment, and the story was of this ancient Persian man named Ali Hafed, who owned he he owned this very large farm that had orchards and grain fields and gardens. And Ali was a he was wealthy and he was a content man. Okay, he was wealthy. He, he, he was a content man. Then one day, Ali entertained a guest who came and told him all about these diamonds. He said, told him all about these diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. So uh, he says, he, he just tells him about these diamonds. So Ali went to bed that night. Although he was a wealthy man, he went to bed poor. Why? Because he went to bed that night now he was discontent. He was thinking about all these diamonds. Okay? So craving this, a mine of diamonds, wanting a mine of diamonds, he sold his farm, he sold what he had, and went in pursuit of a diamond mine. He traveled the world all over, and uh, he lost all his money in his pursuit. He became so poor and broken and defeated that he ended up committing suicide in his pursuit of a diamond mine. So one day... The man who, there was a man that had purchased Ali's farm from him and he was living there and, and, uh, he was out on the ground on this farm. He was riding a camel and he goes into the, to this garden to, and the stream to, to drink and the camel's taking a drink and his camel put his nose into the brook. The man saw a flash of light from the sands of the stream. He pulled out a stone reflected the hues of all the rainbow, the man had discovered the mind of Golconda right on Halley's old farm. Now, if you've heard of the mind of Golconda, it has the most magnificent diamonds of all time. So there it was. Ali, having heard this story of these diamond mines, he goes about in pursuit of them. All the while, he's looking to be satisfied because he has to have it. And all the time, it was right under his nose what he wanted that would satisfy him. So what's the lesson here? Sometimes the greatest treasure is right underneath our nose. And we don't even know it. We go around looking everywhere for treasure, hoping that one day we'll have enough to be content all the while living in discontented lives, but the secret to contentment is right underneath our nose. It's really simple. It's right here. You don't have to go any further than the Word of God to be content. Are you content? That's the secret. It's right here. So, I pray that we learn this. We still have to go through the initiation process. Okay, Don't try to bypass it. Okay, but you can also say, I now know the secret. I know the secret. I know how to be content, but we've got to practice it. Okay, if we find our contentment in Christ, I trust that we can say whether I, I am based or whether I, I, I'm full, I have learned to be 
content because I'm satisfied with my relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I'm so thankful, Lord, that You chose, Lord, to die on a cross, suffer for us and our sins, Lord. To meet our greatest need, Lord, is the forgiveness of sins, Lord. Lord, what a blessing, Lord, to have Your love, to have Your grace, have Your presence in our lives, Lord. To have Your power to live in this world, Lord. Lord, I thank You that You took our sins and gave us Your righteousness. Lord, we are truly blessed, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that You satisfy. You meet every need that we have, Lord. Lord, forgive us for living in discontentment and failing to obey Your, Your command to be content in all things, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we would take what we've heard today and apply it, Lord. Lord, and that we would take this secret that we heard and that we would uh, learn it and apply it in our lives, Lord. And I thank You for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With eyes closed and heads bowed, would you stand? If you would uh, like to come forward this morning and just uh, thank God for, uh, for being your best friend that you, are, you can say, I am content with you, and you just want to thank Him, would you come forward and just uh, acknowledge that in prayer this morning? We should be a thankful people. We have really no need if Christ, if we are content with Christ, we have everything we need. Would you like to come forward and just thank Him this morning? Can Friends, can, can we say that we are content in all things? Perhaps you're here this morning and uh, you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior. You don't have a relationship with Him. Well, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus died for your sins. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior and you need to be forgiven, would you come forward and we'll have someone show you how you can know for sure that all your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Maybe we've got to ask for forgiveness for not being content, Christian. God's been so good to each one of us. We can all have an attitude of gratitude. Are we looking for contentment in the wrong places? Say, this week, Lord, I will spend time with You in Your Word. Okay.
They look up. Well, I want to thank you all for coming, and I, I trust that this morning was a blessing, as a blessing for me in preparation for this message. And as we leave, leave, leave here this morning, let's try to put this into practice and leave, con, live contented lives and understand Jesus Christ meets all of your needs. We, have, we can be satisfied in Him.